There we are. 1 Corinthians 11. Now you can hear me. Good to see you this morning. We're glad to see we have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. Uh, we love to get to know you better. We appreciate you taking the time and making the effort to be here with us to worship God this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 2. The text says, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. All right, good morning. We are doing Q&A this morning, usually on the second Sunday of the month. Uh, we have a Q&A time, and uh, I want to explain to our visitors or those who are unfamiliar with this what we mean and what we are doing. Uh, Q&A is the time where I answer in this hour till about 940 uh, questions that have already been submitted to me previously. I've taken time to prepare my response uh, to those answers, to those questions. So uh, it's not a free-for-all. It's not a press conference where you keep asking me and you don't like my answer, so you keep asking me questions. We're not doing that. If you don't like my answer, I understand, but uh, especially this morning. But um, because of that, uh, let's let's make sure we write down our questions and submit those so we can. We're, we're trying to make an effort at doing things in kind of an orderly way because of that. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about how this works. I usually have a list. Since we started doing this, which has been a few years now, um, I usually have a list of all the questions that you guys have given me and submitted in writing in some form, and I'll cycle through the list. And usually I like to massage the list a little bit. I always, by the way, reserve veto power on the list. Okay, So if you have a question and uh, maybe it takes a while, that's not personal, or if it just doesn't show up, it may be that I don't think that that's a question that would be beneficial for everybody, but usually I'll try to take ideas that are similar or passages that are similar and group them together. So like I think it was last month or maybe been two months ago, we did, we did Naaman and we did Samson because they're both kind of Old Testament characters with some peculiarities about their stories, so we put those together. Um, so I received this question that, that we're about to study uh, very early this year, and I believe that this year I have received the same question at least three times, maybe four, okay? And so after I got it the first time, and I know there was a second time where I thought, oh, I've already got that one. I won't make a note of it. And then I got it again, and I remember thinking, I really need to talk about that. And then last week, somebody else asked me. And so I thought, it's time. We need to talk about this. And one of the reasons I'm a little hesitant is I, I don't know that I have great answers for you, but I do think it's something that we should at least address uh, and think about. So the question this morning, and we're going to spend all our time on this one, is should women cover their heads in worship? And we're going to be studying from this text. I read a little bit of it, 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to be in verse 2 to 16. It is a remarkably challenging text, all right? It is challenging for a number of ways. Let me just give you a glimpse into why I say that. Usually when you study a passage like this, there is a general consensus that emerges as you study through different scholars and what they say. At the very least, not everybody's going to agree about every detail of any text, but they're going to agree this is generally what it's saying. Uh, that is not the case in this text. So scholars can't even agree on what Paul is addressing. Can I give you some examples? I read this week about how some said that this is about marriage, that the covering is a sign of being married. You probably heard that as I read the ESV. It talks about wives and husbands. Uh, or that this is about wealth. So wealthy women wanted to show off their hair, and that was a problem, and so he's saying cover that up. 
Or it's about sexuality. Since hair was considered in ancient times sexually attractive, he's saying, no, you need to keep that covered. That doesn't need to have a place in the worship. And some that it's about submission and humility. All right, so what are we talking about? They don't even know. All right, so you got that. Then you got the idea that it's obvious that there are some social customs that are relevant here. We're going to talk about hair and covering uh, and what's shameful and what's appropriate or proper. And a lot of that is socially defined. Like what's appropriate in one setting or one culture or one time is not the same in another. So that, that all works pretty well until you ask the question, well, what customs are we talking about? What culture are we talking about? So you got hair, you got the roles of women, you've got veils, you've got women being shaved, all right, and how each group or culture uh, accepts that. And there are endless options. I did not realize this until I was reading up on it this week. There are Greek customs, there are Roman customs, and there are Jewish customs, and all of them are different. So are we talking about Jewish and Roman women who wore veils in public? They went out in public with veiled heads. Okay, is that what we're talking about? Is that what we're being sympathetic to? Greek women did not, except some Greek women did sometimes. All right, but is this about veils in public or veils in worship? Does it have anything to do with pagan customs of how the priest would sometimes veil himself in worship in pagan ceremonies? Could be. All right, you've got that custom. Is it about how different cultures wore their hair? That some wore their hair shorter and some longer? Is it about the idea that accused adulteresses in Greek society were sometimes shaved? to prove their adultery? Is it that some prostitutes wore their hair short? I'm sure you've heard that in, in discussions of this text in the past. So you got all of that, and, and we haven't even got to the text yet. Have you noticed? Okay, the text itself is full of a lot of really strange wording and strange ideas, and that's before we start talking about the role of women, okay, which this text is used to talk about, and you know is kind of a, a lightning rod issue in our time. So I say all that to say we have some work cut out for us. My goal this morning is to get through the text and think through the text and draw some conclusions at the end. All right, so let's get to work. Verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. So he begins in verse 2 by talking about the traditions. And tradition here is not the idea of what has developed over centuries of Christian practice. Traditions here is the idea of what was passed down from the apostles. There are things that they spoke. They were the traditions about who Jesus is and what Jesus wanted his people to do. And he says, I, I'm appreciate, I appreciate the fact that you remember me and that you maintain the traditions. And Paul says that in several places in the New Testament. So there is an issue, though, he wants to address. In verse 3, he says, but I want you to understand. Something was going wrong in the church at Corinth about the idea of covering. And he says, I want to address this. We're not sure why that would be. Uh, it, maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Especially, you get the idea that perhaps cultures are clashing here, and Paul is looking for some middle ground uh, in how they're going to address one another and uh, worship God before each other. So he begins by saying, I just want to say this. Everyone has a head. In verse 3, that's pretty clear. Everybody here has someone that is their head. And by head here, he means their spiritual authority. They have someone that is over them, you might say, someone they answer to, something like that. Verse 3, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, the head of Christ is God. So I want to take some issue with the, the ESV that I'm reading that has instead of man and woman has husband and wife Okay, in this text. And the ESV is extremely inconsistent in this section. Okay, So 
The word in Greek for man and husband is the same word. It's just the word man. If it refers to a woman, it's her man, which would be her husband. And the same is true with woman. The word in Greek for woman is the same as wife. And those, those words are used you know, without context has to determine whether we're talking about a husband or we're talking about a man. So here, for reasons that are not clear to me, and I've read the footnotes and I've read why they did it, the ESV translators decided to just say this is about husbands and wives instead of men and women. I do not agree with that decision. I believe this is much simpler than what they make it into. So the text actually says the head of a man is, uh, the head of a woman is a man, and the head of Christ is God, and every head of every man is Christ. It's funny to me, too, that in the first part of the verse, it says the head of every man is Christ, not every husband. But then when it talks about a woman, suddenly it's his, her husband. So uh, it's a very strange rendering in my view. Uh, so what I'm getting at is I don't believe Paul is addressing only husbands and wives in this context. He's not just concerned about married people. Uh, I think that he is addressing the hierarchy of men and women generally. And he is saying... This is how men and women should understand their relation to one another. So, what's the point? The point is that there is order to the world and that that order rests on the submission of everyone to others, including Jesus. Okay, you've got God and God is the head of Christ. And then you've got Christ and Christ is the head of man. And then you've got man as the head of woman. And so he says everybody submits to somebody and there, there is a recognition of the fact that this is the way God ordered the world, and that's important. Now, the other thing we should say about that is not everything is an equal relation. So it's not as if man is over woman in the same way that Christ is over man, okay? That, that's not the idea that just, you know, when, when Jesus tells us to do something, it doesn't really matter what we think or say about it. We must obey Jesus. Jesus is right. That's not really true of men as their relation to women. So that, that's not really the idea I think we're going for. I think that, that can be strained if we take it too far. But I do think the point is there that he's saying there's order to the world and what, how we act in worship is going to be reflective of that order. And particularly the idea that, that everybody submits to someone, everybody has a head. All right, so this next section I think is going to be explaining a little bit of how that's going to play out in terms of covering and worship. And the principle I want you to see here is how we present our physical head reflects on our spiritual head. That's what he's going for. All right, so we've got to notice, first of all, that those two uses of the word head, right? Okay, physical head, spiritual head. It's different, but Paul just switches back and forth in this section. It's another reason why it's challenging. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. All right, so you see it? His head, physical head, uncovered, I'm sorry, covered, he dishonors his head, Christ. Okay, we dishonor Christ, men praying head covered. All right, but verse 5, every wife, I'm going to say woman, who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. All right, so uh, it's not clear here when we talk about praying or prophesying if we're talking about in the worship, in the assembly, or just generally. Uh, it's just not clear. It's not made clear. Uh, the idea, though, to me, as I read it, just seems to be when we're talking about spiritual activities, okay, when we're engaged in spiritual activities, here is a principle that needs to be respected. And particularly, the controversial part here is that every woman, verse 5 there, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which would be the man, okay, dishonors the man because it's the same as if her head were shaven. Now, 
Already we're thinking, well, what does that have to do with anything about if her head were shaven? We'll come back to that because he's making a comparison here uh, that, that he's going to go with through the rest of this section, dishonoring as if her head were shaven, which is a dishonoring thing in Paul's thinking. All right, so uh, let's keep reading here, verse 6. For if a wife will not cover her head or a woman will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife or a woman to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. <coughs> Excuse me. So there is a comparison that is threading through the text, and we're going to come back to it in a few verses here. Paul believes that nature itself, the idea of long hair and short hair, confirms his point. His point is men should be uncovered, women should be covered. And he believes that nature says the same thing, that men usually have short hair and women usually have long hair. Usually the hair is like a covering. So that's natural in Paul's mind. And so what he's saying is these things, it's, it's not as if I'm asking you to do something crazy. This is something that you already kind of do. And uh, to make his point, now that, that last part of verse 5, he talks about it's, it's as if she were shaven. It's as if she didn't have any covering whatsoever if she refuses to cover her head while praying and prophesying. And then verse 6, she might as well cut her hair short. Okay, you see what he's saying? If she doesn't want to wear a covering, then why does she have her hair as a covering? Okay, she might as well just be shaven. But, verse 6, since it is disgraceful for a woman to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. So you get the idea. It is disgraceful in that culture, that time, for a woman to cut off her hair or shave her head. And so he says... Let her be covered. Let her be covered and let her hair also be a kind of covering. He is using those two things in kind of a parallel way in the text. All right, verse 7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Notice we're back to woman instead of wife in the ESV. Very inconsistent. Woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. All right, so here Paul is explaining uh, why a man would ha dishonor his head by having a covering, why a woman would dishonor her head by not having a covering. And he uses the terms uh, image and glory here. Now, image comes from Genesis. Remember, uh, male and female, he made them, but he said, in the image of God, he created them. So that, that's the idea. And he says specifically of men, men were made in, made in the image and glory of God, verse 7, but woman is the glory of man. So he uses the word glory too, and glory is about something that praises its head or praises its origin, okay? That's something that it gives glory. So uh, you might think of it this way, you know, uh, my children are my glory in some way. In some way they... They are reflective of me, and I feel that way, and I'm, I'm proud of them. And so in the same way, there is a glory that comes when the thing that derives from something else gives glory to where it came from. So we're not just talking about creation, although that's certainly true. Man, man was created by God, but also you have this idea that woman derives from man. Okay, Woman was taken out of man, taken out of the rib of man, and so woman is the glory of man for that reason. That's what he's going with in verse 8. For man was made, not made from woman, but woman from man. Okay, so that, that order matters. And then verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That goes back to Genesis also. He says it's not good for man 
to be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And so he does. And she is a helper. She's made for him to bless him and be a co-worker with him. All right, so let's see where we are. So what he's doing here is just going back to creation order. All of this you need to put under this category. How we present our physical head reflects on our spiritual head. He's all explaining why he believes that women should be covered in praying and prophesying. So if a woman were to pray and prophesy uncovered, it would glorify men. That's what he's saying. Instead of glorifying God, it would give praise to the man instead of giving praise to God because she is the glory of man. So if you're following along, I believe that means Paul says, first of all, praying uncovered would dishonor her head, man, but it would also attempt to honor her head, which would be man. And neither one of those is good. Okay, neither one of those, to dishonor the order God created is bad but also to honor man when God should be honored is a problem. All right, so either way, you get to the same point, which is he wants women to be covered in praying and prophesying. All right, verse 10. That is why a wife or a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. All right, so that is why a woman should have, and he says here, the word is just authority. My version says a symbol of authority, uh, but Paul is referring to the covering here, and he's saying the covering is it's not authority in itself, but it is a symbol of authority that she puts on her head. It says something about authority, and it gives glory to God rather than to man. That's the point of that. And then Paul throws in because of the angels. Did you catch that? Verse 10. All right, and so, you know, we start scrambling. What's the angels? What does that have to do with anything? I'm not going to go into all that. We, we went into a lot of it when I taught on 1 Corinthians. Was that last year, I guess? And... Um, I'll just say the best explanation I've seen of the because of the angels is that uh, there is a, a tradition in Judaism, and I believe, uh, I think you could probably accurately prove it from some scriptural principles, that angels are witnesses to our worship and witnesses to what we do in honoring God because angels are ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit salvation. So if that's the case, then perhaps what Paul is saying, and probably the best I can do with what Paul is saying here is, Angels are watching what we're doing, and when we refuse to acknowledge the way God has created us and the order God has made, then in some way the angels are offended. In some way the angels, you know, there are witnesses of this, and you don't want to, uh, I don't know, disobey in front of the angels, that kind of thing. So I just think that that's what Paul's assuming. That's what he's alluding to. The, if there was more to this, he would have probably explained it more, but I'm assuming that they knew what he was mentioning. All right, so you get done with this section. And I think you just have this basic principle. He wants them to cover their, he wants women to cover their heads in worship because the, the physical head reflects on the spiritual head. This is about how God organized the world, he says, and it's appropriate to show honor to what God has said and what God has done. All right, uh, verse 11 to 13 is about how man and woman are in, interdependent. Verse 11, nevertheless, which is a word that means probably people might take this the wrong way or take it too far. Nevertheless, he says, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Okay, we need to save that for the next section. I need 11 and 12. So the idea is neither man nor woman is independent of the other. Woman was created from man. That's back in Genesis 2. 
And then man, in a sense, is created from woman. That sense is about birth, okay? Neither one of us can exist without the other. Neither one of us can stand on our own. God made us interdependent, and that's also true in Christ. He doesn't want us to think that one gender is superior to the other. Particularly, I think he's fighting against the idea that this would lead to a kind of chauvinism where men think that they are the only important gender and that women have no role in Christ. And he says, that's not the case. Don't think that. We all depend on each other. And that's important to reassert, especially in the context of the things he's saying that can be taken in that direction. All right. Uh, This next little section is the end uh, where he says, judgment and nature affirm the need for a covering. Verse 14. I want verse 13. I don't know why I keep getting the wrong verse here. Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering? If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So two arguments here that just confirm what he's saying. The first there is in verse 13, he says, judge for yourselves, okay? Do your own judging. Now, Paul already did this back in chapter 10, where he was talking about food offered to idols. And he says, judge for yourselves. Is, is, this, is this appropriate? Is this a good idea? And when he does that, it's very interesting because it's almost as if he's arguing and he's throwing things out. And he's like, well, I mean, what do you think? Don't you already agree with me? Don't you already know? Isn't this obvious without me having to tell you all the, the biblical principles behind it? And he says in the same way, this is appropriate. This is proper. And I want you to notice that word in my version. It's proper in verse 13. Uh, is it proper for a wife to pray to God or a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? That is, this is something that is inappropriate. And he believes that is obvious. All right. So verse 14 Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, doesn't nature teach you this? Which means, isn't this something that you can observe just by looking at people? Uh, That generally, people are this way. Generally, short hair is men and long hair is women. And it's generally true that that long hair which he says is a kind of covering, is not shameful for women. It's a glory to women. So he says, why would this be any different? To cover your head would not be a shame. It would instead be a glory. So I don't think Paul is saying that the hair is the covering he's been talking about. That his encouragement is, no, what I really want is for all the Corinthian women to let their hair grow. That's the real spiritual problem here. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, what you observe in nature confirms my point. Uh, In fact, it seems to me that the Corinthian women are pushing back against Paul's instruction because they think that, that wearing a covering diminishes them in some way. And he says, no, 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 that's not the way this works. That's not the way it works in nature, and that's not what we're going for. We're not diminishing you. Instead, we're acknowledging the authority of God and the way God's made the world. Verse 16, then, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, that's a strange verse because of the wording. Um, You can read it in three ways. There's probably more ways you can read it, but at least these are the three I can come up with. One of them, you can read it as if Paul is disavowing everything he just said. Where, you know, hey, if anybody wants to fight about it, hey, we don't do this. Never mind. You know, don't push it. 
I don't think that's what he's saying. Uh, another is to say, if anyone wants to be contentious, we have no such practice, or some versions say we have no other practice, which is an entirely different meaning, but he is saying, you know, if you're talking about women praying uncovered, we don't do that. Okay, that may be what he's saying. Or it could be, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we don't, we don't act that way. We're not contentious people, and the churches of God are not contentious. So we're not going to act that way about this. We're not going to be contentious and cause a problem about this. I think that last part is his meaning. This is not an issue to be contentious over, uh, because I think that's what he's saying about how the churches of God practice this. All right. So what do we do with all that? I've got about seven minutes. All right, so let me say this. I'm going to just say two things. First, there is a definite cultural component. So Paul, and likely a lot of the people who were converts at Corinth, Paul is Jewish. And Jewish women were often veiled in worship and veiled generally when they were in public. Roman women were often veiled as well. Greek women were not. And a large part of this might be about avoiding offense to people who do things a certain way and who have done worship in a certain way. Paul is pushing for peace and about how we honor God and how we honor one another by saying these are things that we can do and that there, is, there are some principles here that can back that up. But you see that cultural component throughout the text. I hope you see it. I'll just point out a few of the words here. He talks about over and over again what is disgraceful or dishonoring what is proper, what is shameful, what dishonors someone. These are cultural terms. Honor and shame, proper, disgrace. Uh, these are words that are defined by how we present ourselves in our time. So how women present their hair and their bodies varies over time. You guys know, I mean, this, it's varied in this country within some of our lifetimes, right? Okay, uh, Things go in and out of style. Hairstyles go in and out of style. Clothes go in and out of style. And uh, what is appropriate, what is shameful, changes. It changes with time. And sometimes we'll even have some disagreements about that between the generations, where older people will say to younger people, that, that's not appropriate. That's not proper. You shouldn't wear that. Or maybe even you just shouldn't wear that to church. That's not proper for what you should wear in worship to God. But I think we need to acknowledge what's happening there. there. There's not some uniform, universal standard that is good for all time. It is instead something that we interpret based on our culture and the time in which we live. So clothes that are worn today without any concern would not be worn 100 years ago, right? Even in our country. And so there has to be some acknowledgement of change. The other thing I would say about that, the cultural part is that covering the head does not seem to me to be nearly as related to respect in our time as it was in the ancient time. There are some occasions where covering the head does convey something in our time, 2019. Sometimes we're asked to take our hats off when the national anthem is played. But who's asked to take them off? If anybody specifies, usually men, right? All right? Sometimes... Well, men usually don't wear hats to church, do they? Or if they do, take them off. Wonder why? It's about communicating respect. Probably it's a vestige of this passage. 
where we say, no, that, that's not appropriate for a man to pray or prophesy with his head covered. Uh, I went to Texas A&M, and at Texas A&M, the student center is called the Memorial Student Center in memoriam of soldiers who have died, particularly in World War II, where there were a lot of Aggies who served. And so you walk in that building, and they'll say, please take off your hat, which, I mean, on a college campus, all the guys wear their hats all the time. But if you wear it in there, somebody's going to yell at you, okay? It's a thing. Of course, everything's a thing in A&M, but um, it's about how that shows respect in some way. But let me just say that. I've given you a few examples, but for the most part, what we do with our head doesn't really communicate a lot in our time. Okay, what covering or uncovering in some specialized situations like that, perhaps. But we do still have things that are appropriate and inappropriate, honoring and dishonoring. It just may not directly have to do with the physical head today. The other thing I want to say, when you acknowledge the cultural component, you have to acknowledge that there are eternal principles here, that there are some things in this text that do not change from era to era and do not change based on where we live and when we live. So, for example, the order of authority doesn't change. Okay, that's not something that we can say, no, well, Christ was the head of man in the first century, but today, you know, no, that, that hasn't changed. Uh, the, the order of creation hasn't changed. We were still, you know, you still have God creating the man first and the woman from the man. That hasn't changed. Uh, we submit to each other. The idea of submission and, in fact, of mutual submission, that everyone has somebody that they submit to, that hasn't changed and doesn't change just because culture changes. There are cultural expressions of submission. Do you hear what I'm saying here? I'm not saying the cultural expressions are the same, but I'm saying we do always need to express it in a way that's consistent with our culture. That we submit and we express submission. That we have obligations to one another that we express in whatever way is culturally appropriate. That's what Paul is going for here, and I don't believe that that principle has changed. Uh, Men and women are interdependent and equal in Christ, that we belong to Christ in the same way. It's just that there are certain divisions of labor, you might say, in the kingdom. Uh, And we recognize roles given to us by God, just like they needed to in this time, we need to today. All right, so I got two minutes, so let me conclude and actually answer the question. I do not believe that the head covering is essential for women in worship today. I believe that the head covering was a cultural representation of the submission God expected them to have and expected them to show. I do believe that we should show honor for the order God has created, and that includes the order of men and women in the church. I believe that we do that both by how we present our bodies and how we speak and act toward one another. There are still cultural ways we express submission. For example, we will say, sir or ma'am, to show respect and honor. We will defer to others. We will stand sometimes in the presence of someone who we consider ourselves to be lower than, and we show honor to one another. Now, that may not involve the physical head in the same way, but there are still ways of saying, I submit myself to you and I, I show honor to you because either of the way God created you or the way I choose to submit because of Christ. I will say this. If you feel convicted based on this text that you need to wear a covering 
in worship to God. I encourage you to follow your conscience. But I will say I do not believe that is what's bound on us today. Now, there's more to say about that. I mean, we haven't even delved into women's roles and praying and prophesying and 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 and all of that. But that will have to wait for another time, and I'm sure you'll have five questions for me when I'm done this morning. But I appreciate your time, and I hope that will help you in some way uh, to make sense of this text. Thank you for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.